we're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube that the things that the pandemic has hastened, this push to educational technology timed right while the XR takes off uh, is going to make profound differences across the world. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back. One thing I think about a lot is what the world will look like on the other side of this pandemic. What things will we go back to? And what will we leave behind? I think about this a lot in terms of how work gets done and how education gets delivered. Many of us in higher education flipped to Zoom pretty quickly last spring, but Zoom's never really been the right tool for the job. That's why I'm excited today to speak with Dr. Jonathan Richter. Jonathan is the president and CEO of iLearn, the Immersive Learning Research Network. iLearn is an international organization of developers, educators, and research professionals collaborating to develop the scientific, technical, and applied potential of immersive learning. These folks are out there on the frontier of how to communicate and collaborate using the best of technology. Jonathan, welcome to A New Angle. Thanks, Justin. I'm super glad to be here. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to have you here, too. So I don't really know how to describe what you do. So what would you say your job is? Well, a lot of it kind of of boils down to educational technology. Uh, It's using technology to help people learn. And I was a teacher educator Mm -hmm. for a number of years, Uh, worked in both elementary as well as high school levels back in grad school and uh, working my way up. And then teacher education, did did, uh, educational technology, Uh, worked as a research associate um, designing um, computer interfaces for people with learning disabilities. Okay. So we took the knowledge for what works for students learning with disabilities and then ported that into a computer environment. I ran, did that for research for a while. And my boss said, you should research some other things that you're interested in. So I picked video games <laughs> and uh, that that translated to studying these immersive environments, video games, virtual reality, augmented reality, etc. cetera. So uh, that's, that's kind of what I do every day is, is helping look at some of that promise, finding some of the reality, the, the what people are actually doing with it to make learning gains, and then helping to showcase that. Yeah, let's maybe go back to some of that vocabulary because listeners might not be familiar. So what is immersive learning and VR, XR? Like, what are all these things? Yeah, there's, there's lots of discussions, as you can probably imagine, sure. in, a, in an emerging field. That's what is immersion. So immer- immersion, of course, is is when you're, uh, reaching that state of of flow, or it's it you know by uh, when you're when you're into something. I was really into that book. You're immersed in that book, or when somebody tells you you just had to be there. You know, I can't really explain it. It was, it's you had to you have to understand the situation with all the dynamics moving around in the environment at that time. That's an immerse. That's a type of immersion. And uh, immersion can can mean just from the technical idea, like computers uh, 
providing you a stimulus, right? So, so you can be fully encased in the digital world, and that's what people call virtual reality. You know, the virtu- the, the the digital is fully surrounding you. You've got a helmet on, uh, or you're just, like your body is. It feels like you're in that digital environment, right? Uh, but it's also immersive when you are out in the AKA real world out in the physical world and you're looking around you and you're interacting with all of the amazing things that this world has to offer. And the digital comes in when there's sort of a, uh, you can look through a, a phone or your glasses at a digital overlay that lies on top of the world around you. So like the yellow line at the fit, the, the, the goal line um, to get the, the oh yeah in the, football the next yeah. down in, yeah. fo- in football, we all know that yellow line isn't really there. It's just showing to us on TV as we're watching the game. But they're augmenting reality in the same way that a pilot flying a, <clears throat> an airplane, they're looking through a special lens at you know how far away is that other plane up to my right? You know, it's so many meters or so many so many yards. Okay. Um, or, or increasingly as you're driving, and of course, you know, the self-driving cars, they're using technologies that are picking cameras, judging how the distance between things and making decisions and augmenting the driver's cognitions and uh, ability to make good decisions. Sure. So do we know that, you know, immersive is better like is is immersive learning better than than learning that's non-immersive i would assume so but like is that is that a premise we know about well that's a, that's a great question because it you know uh takes a lot of effort to make something and you know using the digital enhancements um is what we focus on and it takes uh, connected sets of expertise it takes a it takes an investment in equipment it takes design it takes you know assessment so a lot of effort has to go into doing these things well. And so whether there's a return on that investment or not is, is a, is a great question. But back in, I think 2009, there was enough evidence across the scientific fields to, uh, for science journal, uh, an article written by uh, Dr. Chris Deedy at Harvard, uh, pretty much, you know, demonstrated that the body of evidence is in that here are different circumstances in which the investment is worth it. Okay. So those are things like when you need to show somebody multiple perspectives, um, then, then that kind of, that kind of uh, training tool is better than any other route. And when you say Uh, perspectives, do you mean like visual perspectives, like point of view or or like more to the metaphorical perspective? Both. Like uh, it could be taking on the role of somebody um, who was in the Civil War or taking on the role of somebody who looks different than you or is differently abled than you. Yeah. I mean, I guess those two concepts of point like the the, it's neither it's it's not necessarily either or in the context of immersive learning. Right. You confuse the dimensions of point of view, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, you can be you can take on. It's like it's like doing role playing, um, like dressing up in a Halloween costume and becoming Darth Vader, or you know, you you embody it. Uh, but going into the setting where there's sort of cultural demands and there's also the physical environment, you know, you can touch the X-wing fighter. That that really helps create 
the being there understanding in a way that almost no other no other teaching tool does as well except for you know like taking somebody if you if you're learning italian let's go to italy sure you know that's very good but uh the digital is plastic is the idea right so you can shape it and change it um you can create a virtual simulation of walking on the moon and then suddenly you're walking on the bottom of the ocean. You can go to different scales. And that's the other uh, Dini's article talked about when you're when you're teaching someone situated understanding of scale, you know, what does a billionth of a meter mean? Or what do, if you can zoom up to the cosmic level and how far actually is it between Saturn and Neptune? You know, like at the in, in virtual reality, you can see that and embody that space. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can really sort of just understand it at a level that's not quite so abstract, I would suppose. That's it. it I mean, it makes the abstract uh, concrete. So things that are complicated uh, or abstract to, to us humans, and there are many things in our world that are abstract and complex, you, we need metaphors or things to help us have understanding in ways that we can manipulate or take those understandings and and be able to make them actionable. And uh, when the virtual um, is anchored to uh, presentations that match to the, to the real world or to some sort of outcome, then they become pretty powerful as sort of scaffolds or uh, ways of showing people these abstract or complex ideas. Um, and that's, also, Chris Didi uh, talked about that. When you're talking about transfer from one, from the from a teaching mechanism to the real world, the virtual or immersive environments do a better job than most other. Um, so you can you can there's virtual environments of of uh, nursing technologies, and they'll they'll show beginning nurses the different machines that are in the operating room and in the waiting room and in the patients in, in, in the patient's room following surgery and the nurses coming into the surgery room, they get an overview of the technologies that are in the room. They learn the positions of the buttons. They learn the basic where these things are used and when these things are used during surgery, they do the basic training in the waiting room and outside of it. And then in the hospital, in the patient's room in the hospital, and then when they actually go into the surgery room, and these these are this is technology and equipment that's very expensive, and you don't want to break it, right? And uh, so they don't have lots of practice opportunities for these nurses to come in and just fiddle with it um, for a variety of reasons. The virtual uh, environments can cut through that initial layer, so they really understand what it is, when to use it, where where it is. And then when they go into the real world scenarios um, for practice through medical school, they kind of, they drop right into the deeper questions. They drop right into the, to the more contextual things that the, the master surgeon teacher can get at. So. Yeah. It sort of just speeds them through the, the, the mechanical familiarity with the context so they can kind of learn the stuff that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the settings that you and your colleagues I know work a lot in and on is your virtual campus. Um, and you had we had an engagement with you on your campus with a class of mine a couple of weeks ago. 
was I fun. mean, it was, it was fun. It was mind blowing for me, for the students. Tell us, I mean, what is a virtual campus and, and, and <laughs> like, why is a virtual campus better in some ways than, than, an, than a physical campus? Well, uh, the Immersive Learning Research Network, if I could just back up one quick second. Sure. Um, so I learned the Immersive Learning Research Network, we're platform agnostic, and we are interested in all of these different sort of virtual and augmented reality. There's a thing in between called mixed reality, where it's partially virtual and partially augmented. We're interested in the haptic gloves, where people can put their hand in the glove and they can feel things that are in that virtual space um, or boots. There's a full body suit uh, made by a company called Tesla suit, um, not related to Elon Musk, that they're using for, for teaching and training uh, for occupations like firefighting and, uh, and all sorts of other things. So we're interested in all, this whole panoply of different technologies. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. Raging wildfires have scorched a record number of the acres and killed at least continues to climb from people. those devastating wildfires. Last year, wildfires scorched a landmass nearly five times the size of Yellowstone National Park. It was the largest area burned since reliable records began. Fires are getting bigger and hotter and more devastating than ever before. But what all that fire means and what to do about it depends on who you ask. The experience of a forest taking fire is really something. Not only a gift to us, but it's more, more of a gift to the land. There will always be fear of fire, I, I know that, and I don't pretend there won't be, but in certain situations, there shouldn't be. I'm Justin Angle, and for the last couple years, I've been talking to scientists, historians, and firefighters themselves to hear their stories. You owe it to the guys that died. I wanted to figure out, how did we get here? We're going to knock fire out of the landscape. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. It was a crazy ambition. And where do we go? It just, knowledge is, is freaking power. I'll talk about it in a calm way, but this is me hitting the panic button. Am I making any difference here with the science? <laughs> That's what I wonder sometimes. This is Fireline, a six-part podcast series from Montana Public Radio and the University of Montana College of Business about what wildfire means for the West, our planet, and our way of life. Hi, I'm Nora Sachs. I'm the host and reporter of Richest Hill, a podcast from Montana Public Radio, and you're listening to A New Angle. When, when the pandemic hit and iLearn was supposed to go have our conference in San Luis Obispo, California for our uh, sixth annual worldwide conference, uh, we quickly pivoted uh, and got the board approval to... Uh, go all online because this is, as, after all, sort of what we do. We've been having this face-to-face -face because we immerse in the locations of where we have these face-to-face -face conferences every year. But we've all, we've kind of done some technology, of course, uh, all the time. But this year with the pandemic, we decided to just go all in. 
And so we looked very quickly for, you know, if you remember when the pandemic started, it was really a terrifying, like suddenly tons of students were cut off from their teachers and oh, yeah. nobody knew what was, what we, what we should do. And so we said, you know what, we need to make sure that people have access to this conference. So not only do we need to go into a virtual environment in some way, because that's, that's what we are talking about, but we want people to be able to get there. And a lot of these virtual worlds, a lot of these applications that they're, if they're, if they're immersive, they're very platform specific, mostly PC only. So we, in our tour of different places, kicking the tires of, of different platforms for this, Verbella came up. And at first I wasn't that impressed because I'm like, okay, this looks like a, like a campus, but like you've seen it, it's not super imaginative. Like right. a lot of, it has the, a familiarity to it for sure. It does. And a lot of people like to use virtual worlds for what you can't do. You know, what is it like to walk on the surface of the sun? <laughs> you know, what is it? I want to be able to fly. Uh, I, so you go to this virtual world and it's very, it's set up in such a way. I didn't realize this at the time, but Verbella is set up with these really super, basically globally, familiar scenes because it's supposed to get out of the way so that you can do your work. You, you, they want you to collaborate. They want you to, they want you to work together. It's, it's about the people. But at the time I didn't realize that. So you go in and it's a campus, it's got a learning center and it's got a coffee shop and it's got an auditorium and it has, you know, a pavilion for, for with, with different buildings set up. It's, it has classrooms and it has what we call conference halls where you walk into a large room with round tables set up and uh, for, for people to, to congregate with then three big screens at the front of the room where people are uh, can look at, you know, sort of the, the, the presentations going on and a variety of other spaces. There's a hub space where you walk into the room and it's uh, six floor to ceiling screens. So you can put up whatever you want on a, you know, a, a picture or a PowerPoint or a website on any of those six screens and then get your group together and sort of huddle around um, whatever, uh, around the pictures or the documents. Verbella integrates uh, also uh, like Google Docs. Um, so we often use the space live to collaborate over documents. But I guess I guess for, 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 for those viewers at home who might be thinking of what this is, imagine a, a cartoon campus and you have your little avatar, your, at which you can choose your, your hair and your eyes and your clothing. You can be business or you can be pretty casual. And then you go out into this campus um, into these different spaces. There's boardrooms and there's there's meeting suites, there's a beach. And you can go to these different spaces. And it's the fact that you're somewhere on that island and you can choose where to go next on that island gives you a sense of space, gives you a sense of being there. And that sense of being there is immersion. Uh, you're immersed on the campus. So it it's different than 
Zoom because in order to do a breakout room, the 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 leader, the teacher, the presenter of the of the Zoom session has to create the breakout room. Oh yeah, it's super clunky. Yeah. yeah, and you can go in there and you can talk, but the what you miss is sort of the random meeting of people following a session after you stand up and you're walking down the aisle and going outside you can say to somebody on the side you can say oh, i really liked what you were saying in the chat do you want to pop over and talk uh at this umbrella you know under this umbrella and and chat at this on this patio and it happens all the time so it's this water cooler chat this um this stuff that just sort of emerges organically. Right, right. And gets lost in, in the Zoom environment for sure. What do we know about, like, you know, that that sort of difference in benefit makes clear sense. And I'm sure listeners can kind of just sort of see how that would operate versus Zoom or something else. What do we know about, what does the research show about, you know, what types of interactions or problem solving work better in a virtual world and, and, and what maybe don't function as well as in person? Well, that's, that's really the million dollar question, right. but really it's, I mean, you're talking to someone who talks about situated learning. So it, it depends on the situation. Of course. Yeah. So really it boils down to the kinds of engagement. A lot of, a lot of teachers are used to teaching in a very particular way. All the students are sitting and looking at the front of the classroom you have their attention and you have certain tools, the PowerPoint uh, or what you're writing on the chalkboard and you're using a book. But in, in a virtual sense, there's so many different kinds of interactions. You can conjure any kind of setting, right? We're in a jungle, we're, we're, we're on the tundra. We're, uh, so it's thinking about what kinds of engage, like what do you want your students students to do to, in order to learn. And so we look at a typology of engagement, right? So there's uh, there's just getting somebody's attention and getting them to learn some basic facts. Or do you want them to, do you want them to role play so that they're actually in that situation back with the nurses uh, or the civil war or kind of get the feel of the atmosphere. I want to be able to go to Italy and order at a cafe um, and, and be able to successfully transverse that situation. And then all the different kinds of things that you do in situations. You know, so you work with a lot, uh, I mean, as an, as, as an academic, you know your way around a university. You work with a lot of colleges and universities, other organizations interested in education, you know, what are the smart players in this space doing with um, with resources like virtual campuses and other sorts of virtual engagements? What are the smart uh, people investing in? Well, I think the world's changing really fast. You know, there's a there's a, a new re trend report that just was released by Unity, uh, the makers of the Unity uh, software, on you know what's happened during the pandemic uh, to force a lot of industries and people, and they show that 63% of all industries are are going into these immersive technologies as a solution under the pandemic conditions. And I think what you're seeing is with these successful players, they're moving quickly to start 
taking on the use of these XR technologies. Because Justin, the funny thing is, if whether the pandemic was happened or not, this XR technologies was going to be taking off during this time. All the technologies, we've been trying for this VR immersive uh, ecosystem in the industry, like at least since 1990. We've gone through waves and phases of development. The promise and the hype has been there. And so a lot of people who have really wanted this thing to happen, who have invested in these technologies in these particular industries, have just been pushing and pushing and pushing for so long. But it's been known for that we're finally getting there. Um, And it's because the technologies um, and the, the, the vertical supply chains Uh, for different people servicing these technologies, the user bases, the game design, the learning design, it's finally tipping over. Um, Oculus has, has, uh, you know, with uh, Facebook uh, virtual uh, realities is is leading in a a lot of ways, but there are many, many players that have been pushing and working on this. So, I mean, it seems like a spot where universities and other organizations, you know, there's there's this inflection point. I mean, in an article you and I exchanged, you know, made the argument that, hey, if you're a university, you should not be investing in physical plant. You should be investing in in digital resources. It, I mean, what's your take of that landscape in higher education? Well, I know I know you know invested as much as I am, I'm I would wholeheartedly agree <laughs> that that's that's where things are going. And you know, um, of course it's not going to be that smooth of a transition for a lot of, of uh, organizations, you know, education's steeped in tradition and, and learning face to face in a geographic place is huge. I'm a, you know, born and raised Montana. Um, so I get it. I, I'm very connected to the land, but uh, I think what you're, if you start looking at the trends and you really start seeing where things are going, we're not going to put the toothpaste back in the tube that the things that the pandemic has hastened, this push to educational technology timed right while the XR takes off uh, is going to make profound differences across the world. Um, and and we're, we're really just getting started taking off as these things really start to become diffused across the landscape. So yeah, I think, I think people who realize that, um, you know, this, this is sort of a paradigm shift. I hate to use that word. Yeah. This is what disruption feels like, right? (laughs) Another area of passion for you, you mentioned, you know, born and raised in Montana. Um, you've taught at a variety of levels to a variety of populations in this state and beyond. I mean, access, right? Education is such a driver of upward mobility and opportunity, you know, how do you think about the role that you know these sorts of technological resources play in opening up that type of upward mobility to more people and more different people? Well, I think it's again, it's creating a complex landscape because these technologies, a lot of them are expensive. Right. Um, although most people, I, it's, I, I hesitate to say most people, but a lot of people have smartphones. And the augmented reality technologies in those are inc- pretty incredible. Uh, what you can do so, uh, and there's there's very accessible, you know, um, 
technologies that uh, that don't cost an arm and a leg. But I think it's up to these communities as much as it is up to universities to have the foresight by looking at these sort of breadcrumbs that are here. Like the future's here. It's just not widely distributed yet. Right, yeah. Um, but if people could see that and then take action to lower the barriers for, for all of, of the community members, different students. Uh, you know, Spectrum Discovery Centers has done some great things to provide Indeed. access to, to people in, in the Missoula community as well as uh, the Flathead and down in the Bitterroot. But, uh, and the bandwidth the issue is a big one too. I mean, oh, that, that, that kind of, it's, it, you know, the devices are one thing and, you know, and those are becoming more and more affordable for folks. Um, it's a lot easier to subsidize getting devices into people's hands, but, but creating the infrastructure for them to connect to broadband is, is, is proving to be more of a challenge. That's it. Well, and then, and, and then another one is, is modeling the kinds of expertise that, mm, yeah. that, that people need in order to understand, um, and get their arms around these new ways of working and learning and, and interacting. Just to have the technology plopped in front of you doesn't doesn't do it. It's when somebody shows you how to use it and then does it really well and orchestrates an event that then it's, ah, now I start seeing the possibilities and the potentials. And that's exactly what you and your colleagues are interested in, in doing and figuring out how to, how to best do that. Uh, Jonathan, this has been fascinating. How can people learn more about iLearn, about you and your work online? Where would you point them? Probably start with our website, uh, which is immersivelrn.org. Um, so Immersive uh, Learning Research Network. That's the immersivelrn.org. And uh, from there, there's a link to our various initiatives, including our virtual campus. So check them out. Awesome. Well, it is indeed an experience. I encourage everybody to check it out. Jonathan, thanks for coming by the show and uh, we'll see you down the road. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. We're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift of UM alums, Michelle and Lauren Hanson. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business, with additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors and Drum Coffee. A.J. Williams is our producer. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends about it. Thanks a lot. See you next time.